a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Dave and DeGenevic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. Yesterday at this time, I felt like I had been teleported to Siberia. And today it's beautiful and sunny. What a difference a day makes. Yeah. Wait five minutes. Maybe it'll change. Who knows? It's Utah. Like we could have something on the horizon. It's 9.07. It's time for the launch. Sequence engaged. And here are three things that Debbie wants you to know. Countdown. Three. And it was that wild day of snowy weather that turned into frustration for school employees, parents, spouses of school employees. Uh, and it was a caller, Dave, who first brought it to light, wondering... Why doesn't the state have a cohesive plan for schools to follow on days like yesterday instead of half days here and school closers there and full days over there? And it was, I think his name was Randy. Randy from Mill Creek, thank you for bringing this issue to light. We are not letting it go today. You called us after driving your school teacher wife to Davis County for work. I, I just really question whether the districts care at all about their their staff and their teachers. Teachers don't live right next to the school. Maybe the kids do, but the teachers don't. And- I totally take that for granted. I just assume all the teachers live close just like my kids do. Of course they don't. So do we need a snow day czar? Somebody that can declare a snow day and keep everybody home and do some remote learning. Countdown. The uh, snowstorm that kept on giving, exposing a massive safety threat to Utah families who were shocked, shocked to find out from neighborhood word of mouth to check their home's exterior vents. Natural gas ventilation systems for furnaces and water heaters. I, I looked at some pictures online, Dave, and in my view, these are really super low to the ground and easily clogged up from snow when um, natural gas appliances can't vent properly. Then your home can fill with dangerous levels of carbon monoxide, which we all know is the silent killer. So we're going to get a live report from South Jordan, where KSL 5 Television's Kara Bracken has been this morning. Residents crawling around trying to find vents, exterior vents, to prevent CO buildup inside their homes. So I went outside, and sure enough, they were completely blocked, and I shoveled them off. And as soon as they were uncovered, I came back in the house, and the heater kicked back on. Debbie, go ahead. Go ahead and ask me how many times I've checked my vents. Zero. Zero times You might not have a problem in your neighborhood. I don't even know where they're located. Wow. 
Launch countdown one. And here we go from Siberia to sunny Salt Lake City. What a difference one day makes. But brace yourselves uh, straight ahead. KSL meteorologist Matt Johnson in-house with which city got the most snow and who should be holding on for the next series of snowstorms that I, I hear. Oh, it's right around the bend. If I'm just looking outside of our window here at Broadcast House and I see the mailboxes and the snow plows have stacked the snow so high, it is four or five feet above the snow of the mailbox. I don't know. They will never get to those. It's going to be like July 4th before that mail gets picked up. Oh, no. Dave and Janovic. The launch. Commence. Severe Utah weather. Special coverage with Dave and Janovic. It does look like mini avalanche conditions out there by the mailboxes, the street boxes here at Broadcast House. Good catch, Dave. No loud noises. It might come down. Buried. Buried is the word of the day. So many folks buried after yesterday's blast. So we're going to check in with Matt Johnson in a matter of seconds here to find out how much snow um, people got in their neck of the woods. And uh, we're also on snow watch for the next wave. KSL meteorologist Matt Johnson joins us. And Matt, uh, February was the worst. It was it was exactly what you said we didn't want. The spigot to be turned off. Yeah. And like most of February, I don't know if we had a drop. It was bare bones, no snow in the valley. And then yesterday happened. Yeah, we were dealing with inversions even. And uh, and, and it's funny that we were talking about it. Uh, before the storm hit, uh, you know, the ground was completely bare. Yeah. Uh, everything was dead, still dormant. And then we bring this snow it's just an amazing thing. And, uh, you know, we broke some records here. Uh, we actually saw our – this is our second snowiest uh, February storm on record. Wow. Ninth snowiest ever recorded, independent of the month or day. So so this was a remarkable historic storm. A top uh, 10 storm all time? Uh Ooh, that's Pretty a close. Hard. But yeah, I mean, technically speaking, ninth, right? Yeah, yeah top t- okay. That's yeah. incredible. Guys, stop teasing me. Get to the snow totals. I want to know <laughs> I want to know who won Snowmageddon yesterday. Yeah, and, and and it's funny because most of the folks on the East Bench usually it's it's their claim to fame. Right. Hey, we get the most snow. Not so. It was the West Side, you know, West Jordan, South Jordan, uh, anywhere from eighteen to twenty four inches, and the snowdrifts, which were insane, six to eight feet. You know, and that's kind of what was happening around the homes. You get that wind, uh, and on the on the leeward side of the homes, the side that the wind is not hitting, all the snow comes to rest, and so you'll get those huge drifts of six to eight feet surrounding homes. When I was live on the air yesterday, I was watching our text line and, of course, taking phone calls live all morning long, which was great to hear from our listeners who were out in it. Um, Tooele. County was getting slammed. What do you know about uh, the Tooele Valley? Yeah, Tooele, 24 to 26 inches of snow, and your drifts are 6 to 8 feet as well. So they got hammered. It was, it was Tooele Valley. It was the west end of Salt Lake Valley uh, and, and portions of northern Wasatch Front. It was happening all day yesterday. My son was asking me, like like I had a instant access to the ski resorts. He's like, Dad, how much does this ski resort have? How much does this ski resort have? Who... <laughs> Who benefited the most? That would be Sundance. And the main reason for that is... Sundance. Oh, yeah. Good for them. So so it really depends on the flow. The flow aloft was out of the southwest. Big winners are almost always with that type of flow. That's Sundance. That's Deer Valley. That's Park City. That's Snow Basin. And uh, yes, Sundance 
uh, picked up way more than Alta simply because the flow trajectory. Was that like four feet? or uh, They got 43 inches. Ooh. Solitude 38, Brighton 32, Deer Valley 29, Powder Mountain 33. Alta, still impressive, 26, 25 at Snowbird, Snow Basin 27, even Cherry Peak up at the north end of the state, 26 inches. So it was amazing. So in the next 60 seconds or less, uh, when is the next series of storms coming and how bad is it going to be? Okay, so today's an hors d'oeuvre. We're going to pick up some snow showers, maybe a trace to an inch. No. We'll take a break tomorrow, <laughs> right? We'll take a break tomorrow and Saturday. And then uh, Sunday, we're looking at another round of snow. Uh, hard to pinpoint, but right now it looks like one to three inches of snow. It could be more depending on in the, the way that thing tracks. Yes. And that's Sunday. And then next week, more storms. Yep, Tuesday. I I heard you in the weather center (laughs) as I was walking by, and you were listing one storm after the other for next week, Matt. And you're like, who is this crazy guy talking (laughs) about this, smiling (laughs) about it? (laughs) The think bubble over my head was, stop talking. We've had enough snow. Okay, we'll check back with you throughout the day here at KSL News Radio. But Matt Johnson, thanks so much for joining us uh, from the KSL Weather Center. Thanks, Matt. That's amazing. How about next we uh, go to the community that's been captive, held captive by several feet of snow and snow drifts. It's a community in Salt Lake County. I think they have nowhere else for the snow to go, Dave. It was so bad that it was snowing inside a home yesterday. We're going to get that homeowner live on the line. Severe Utah weather. Special coverage with Dave and Dijanovic. We're going to go live right now to Suncrest, which is a community in Draper. And Dave, you said, i got to be honest with you, Deb. I don't know when the last time I was there, right? Yeah. I, I had no idea where Suncrest was. Okay. So if you are driving on I-15 and you look up and you look east uh, of the freeway, right when you get to about Point of the Mountain, there's that hill, maybe it's a mountain. Um, full On the of north homes. side of the point? Um, yeah. Okay. So, well, Suncrest actually straddles two counties. So it goes into Utah County. Oh, okay. And uh, it is also in Salt Lake County. It is part of Draper. Snow drifts there uh, and this, all the snow we've been getting have really taken the neighborhoods up there prisoner. Um, so bad that we reported yesterday that it was snowing inside Ashley Harmer's home. And I showed you the photo this morning that the drifts and the snow was piled up so high, it was coming through a bathroom vent. And remember I showed you that yeah. photo? Like, it was just like it was real. snowing inside, like in a snow globe. Your home really is a snow globe. Yeah, the, the, the photo that we got from KSL host Taylor Morgan, who is Ashley's, I think I get this right, brother-in-law. So Taylor called me yesterday. He was out plowing his neighborhood in Draper. I don't even know if he got unburied. He didn't get unburied enough to make it into the station yesterday. The photo that we got is this, I think it's a ceiling fan in the bathroom um, with snow buildup inside the grate. You could see it. You know, you look up at the ceiling fan and you see those little slats in the snow. Look, I, I think that's what it is. I, I don't know. Ashley, are you there? Yes. Um, You're so, doing great. So, so tell us about the snow falling. I think Taylor mentioned it was falling on the toilet. <laughs> yeah, I walked into the bathroom to take a shower, and I had this huge puddle on the floor, and I was like, "I, I, where did this come from? Like, I don't understand." And I look up, and there's literally snow coming out of my bathroom fan. Like, it was 
crazy. I, so I took a video and I sent it to Taylor and yeah, I put down towels and I was literally like building up snow on my floor in my house. It was nuts. I've never seen anything like that. I've lived up here in Suncrest for 13 years. Never have I seen anything like that. It was crazy. Inside snow caves. I did not see that on the bingo card. Yeah. That's that's incredible. <laughs> okay, so how, how did it look outside? I, I know, you know, we're talking about 18 inches, two feet, but the the snow drifts just started piling yeah. it up feet over feet. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually, I'm still stranded at home. I'm still snowed in. I'm looking at my neighbors, and, I mean, there's 10-foot snow just piles from all of us trying to snowplow our our front yards and the drifts on the, the side of the houses, like six feet at least. It's been just bonkers, just crazy. I, I've heard some neighbors say or, or tell media organizations, uh, Ashley, that in Suncrest, there's just nowhere else to put the snow at this point. Yeah, definitely. We It's been a record year, as everyone knows, and we have felt that here at Suncrest. We like to call ourselves Snow Crest because of how much snow we get. <laughs> snow Crest Draper. Yeah. So what is it like, uh, I, I guess when you're snowed in, it's not like you're out in the community too much, but uh, are, are you concerned about... Uh, fire trucks, ambulances, you know, some of these emergency services being able to navigate the roads. For sure. I The snowplows did come last night and did most of the neighborhood that I live in. But I, unfortunately, live in a cul-de-sac and we are considered bottom tier. And so they went around the neighborhood and then just totally skipped us. And I watched a few of my neighbors this morning try to get out of their driveways with their big trucks to make it to work. And we're all just stuck. So I don't know how an ambulance would get down to my my side of the neighborhood if something was to happen. It's it's a little bit scary to think about. Um, You know, the sun of the snow, it's just everything is, it's a little overwhelming to think about something like that happening. So hopefully... You know, they'll make their way to us and we'll be safe. But, yeah, Ash- I haven't even been out in the neighborhood. Like, I, I can't go anywhere. So I don't even know what it's like anywhere else. Well, that leads me to my next question. Ashley Harmer, uh, if you're just joining us, is the sister-in-law. Did I get that right? Sister-in-law to KSL host yes. Taylor Morgan. Uh, she is a Draper yes. resident, lives in Suncrest, which is kind of high on the hill, kind of near point of the mountain, but, you know, overlooks the valley. And I think the, the, the community, I, I mean, I remember when they were starting to build homes up there in the maybe the late 90s or early 2000s. I was up there last summer. I actually stayed in a home up there for a few days, Ashley. And it is beautiful mm-hmm. up there. But I was up there in the summer. And I do worry as you look outside, like to Dave's point about fire trucks and ambulances being able to make it in that area with you so snowed in, can you even see fire hydrants if there were some sort of an emergency, like a house fire, for firefighters to access the hydrants? You know, that's a great question. They, we do have these really tall flags on our fire hydrants, um, but with all this snow, I, I bet they're buried as well. So it would be a challenge for sure. Does the city of Draper have any plans uh, on the table to help the community out? I mean, what do they do? Do they truck the snow out? Uh, 
are there any crazy ideas that you've heard? I have not heard anything. I just have heard from neighbors that they had a big bulldozer out trying to get through as much snow as they could. They have these really big, we call them snow chippers, I believe. Um, and they are able to put the snow into a, like a dump truck bed. Um, but I, I was told that they were even getting stuck. Yeah. They were really struggling yesterday up here. So I'm not surprised that they haven't gotten to my side of the neighborhood, but Thanks. I, I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. I even saw that we're supposed to get more snow. We are. Right. We are. We're supposed yeah. to get more cool. snow over the next several days. Ashley Harmer, thank you so much for joining us. She is a resident in uh, Snowcrest, I mean Suncrest Draper. Uh, we, uh, I want I want the residents in that community to know that in the 11 o'clock hour, we have requested that somebody from Draper City you know, call the show, and, and we will have somebody on the line from the city of Draper. Uh, one of our texters said, uh, and our text line says, if you buy a house on top of a mountain in a state that is known for snow, you get what you deserve. I disagree with that. I, I think there, when you pay taxes to a city, um, you also have some um, reasonable expectation that um, fire trucks and um, emergency services can access your community um, and so we need to ask those important questions because nobody wants to be snowed into the point where if there is somebody who has a heart attack down the block or um, a f- house fire and needs help, they just can't get to them. Cul-de-sacs in particular are difficult because the plows can't really get in there yeah. and and they just kind of stuff it into the center. And when it's this much snow, they just don't have anywhere else to put it. So these cul-de-sacs are especially difficult. Well, and, and somebody approved approved those subdivisions, oh, right? Yeah. Right? Somebody approved for contractors but, to go uh, in and Debbie, build Debbie, this is a top 10 storm. This storm right. is absolutely massive. This doesn't happen every year. Right. We'll still ask the question, top 10 or not. We still ask the question. That's in our 11 o'clock hour. Straight ahead, we're going to go live to South Jordan, where homeowners found out they were potentially facing a killer, carbon monoxide. Why snowfall outside created a safety threat for families inside their homes on the southwest end of the valley. Severe Utah weather. Special coverage with Dave and Dijanovic. A massive snowstorm uh, really exposed what I would consider a big safety threat to Utah families who were shocked uh, to find out a lot of it was through neighborhood word of mouth to check their home's exterior vents. These natural gas ventilation systems for your furnaces and your water heaters um, that could easily clog up from from the snow that we were getting. And then the natural appliances, gas appliances, just can't vent. So in return, what you get is dangerous levels of CO, carbon monoxide, stacking up in your home. And carbon monoxide, as we all know, like kills you in your sleep. If it's not vented, if yeah. your appliances aren't vented properly. And I showed you some pictures, Dave, of some of these uh, ventilation systems uh, that were in the exteriors of homes in my community. And personally, I thought, how how are they so low to the ground? I mean, snow could easily cover these things. Yeah, and, and it's one thing if it's just uh, 18 inches or two feet, like a huge snowstorm. But when you start including the wind drifts, that are six, eight feet tall, yeah, it completely covers it and covers it by feet, these vents. So 
what happens? Where does that gas go? Have you ever, you've lived in Kaysville a really long time. Um, I lived in Conwood Heights for 27 years. I never heard of this. I never heard of this. No. We we don't get typically that kind of snow like you do up on the benches. I did because I was right at the mouth yeah. of Big Cottonwood Canyon, and I would have feet of snow piled around my home. And not once did I have uh, – I never had a CO detector go off, never had issues with the ventilation system. Walk, thinking about myself walking around the exterior of my home a million times, there were never vents that were low to the ground. But in this case, I saw on Facebook lots of vents that were just right close to the ground. And I thought, my goodness, I mean, families need to know about this, right? Well, and you have vents on top of your roof as well. So when the yeah. snow is just dumping at this rate, you can even even clog up some of those vents. At KSL 5 Television's Kara Bracken on the phone live with us. She was live in South Jordan this morning, uh, where also KSL 5 TV was out uh, in the daybreak area late last night where this was where this was happening. Um, Kara, how much how much snow were these? Uh, I, you know, I, I live out there, but I haven't been home in like two days because of the snow. So how much uh, snow did was out there? Hey, good morning. So we actually ended up uh, doing a, a bit of a spin, and so we were in Salt Lake. That's okay. where we're falling now. But in daybreak, yeah, they woke up. A lot of those neighbors had woken up to what you guys are mentioning with that no-heat situation, but the power wasn't out. So, you know, you kind of got those two things going on. But, uh, yeah, those exhaust vents, that's really what was the deal there. The snow, it was just piling up so deep. We saw how much snow was just dumping uh, in the valley. So same thing going on down there, but then also those drifts causing those vents, you know, clogging those up and uh, making where there's no heat coming through. So does the furnace automatically shut down when these vents get blocked up or it's just a lack of circulation? Why does it stop working? Right. So it's one of those things that uh, for a lot of families, we, we've heard from one of them and they mentioned that, you know, after the troubleshooting, kind of trying to figure out what was going on, why they weren't getting heat, but they had power. Um, they just found that it was buried. So when they say buried, I don't know if that means, you know, like a whole foot on top or what, but it was enough for them to have to take the efforts to go out there several times during the day to make sure it had plenty of circulation going in and out uh, to make sure they could get the heat back on. So it's an easy fix relatively, but but lots of work to do throughout well, the day. Yeah, Kara, so I'm a member of the community Facebook page out there because, like I said, I moved out there last summer to the Daybreak area from Cottonwood Heights. I'd never heard of this. And thankfully, one of my dear friends, when I got off the air yesterday, sent me a text message, and she said, you need to check the community Facebook page because she was worried that CO could possibly be backing up into my home. And I would have no clue because I have been staying downtown because of all the snow since Tuesday. I've been down uh, at, near Broadcast House. And so I spent most the better part of the afternoon trying to figure this out. And I actually ended up emailing the HOA and they said, yeah, I mean, you need to clear out any vents. Well, I don't even know where my vents are. To be honest with you, this was like a major wake-up call to me. I had no idea. But I know that one of the homeowners out there that uh, KSL 5 TV interviewed last night or yesterday, she woke up and said, oh my gosh, it's cold in my house. Uh, 
the heat had kicked off. Let me let me play some of that sound. Uh, she went outside and started, you know, looking for vents. I guess maybe called her dad or something. Somebody told her, go go start digging out the vents, uh, the ventilation system. So I went outside, and sure enough, they were completely blocked, and I shoveled them off. And as soon as they were uncovered, I came back in the house, and the heater kicked back on. And then I saw other posts that said their heater was working just fine, but... There was a smell of like natural gas in their home. So I guess we've got two different situations, maybe the same problem. Right. And I guess it really goes back to just being able to define, you know, where those exhaust vents are. Like you mentioned, you know, it's not something that a lot of people just know exactly where they are. So one thing that uh, we heard from a service technician for for one of the uh, companies out there talking about, they're usually found on roofs or near the foundation of the home. So that's a good starting point. Kara Bracken, thank you for joining us from KSL 5 Television. They are so close in some of these photographs to the foundation of some of these homes that I cannot figure out uh, if that, I I would assume that an inspector went out and approved all that, uh, but how you would keep up with that in a snowstorm like yesterday. And in fact, some people were saying they had to go out several times throughout the day to clear those vents. Um, to make sure that CO wasn't backing up into their home, but this is wild to me. It's this one of those. It's one of those situations where you realize, oh, maybe building codes did not think of this. And in Utah, this is something we have to deal with occasionally. Big snowstorms, sure. the snow drifts that start clogging up some of these vents. I want to. I want to. Um, I'm looking forward to our next conversation with um, Any Hour Services. Uh, Caitlin, is it Mike Wilson who's calling the show? She's on the phone right now. Caitlin, our producer's on the phone right now, probably uh, thanking Kara Bracken for us. But I, I want to talk to Any Hour Services about this because I wonder if there's a fix, a more permanent fix to this and where you don't have to, you know, lift the vents five feet off the ground through some sort of remodel, but maybe there's some vents or some vent covers that we can buy because, look, I've been downtown. This is my situation. I can't imagine. I've seen other people there like, I've been out of town. I don't know if my vents are covered. And you walk in and you have the potential of CO backing up or your heater's kicked off for a few days and now you've got pipe issues. So you see where I'm going with this, Dave? Yeah. I have no idea how many vents I have in my house. Or where? Or where they're at, what they do, which ones I need to pay attention to, which ones I can ignore. So we'll bring on any hour services next. uh, and, And they can walk us through what to be aware of. Severe Utah weather. Special coverage with David Dijanovic. Uh, kept not only South Jordan residents uh, scrambling yesterday to keep uh, carbon monoxide from building up inside their homes due to these uh, natural gas exterior vents that were being blocked by snow or blowing snow or snow drifts, however you want to say it. But Harriman City tweeted late yesterday a warning to its residents about the same thing because apparently firefighters were responding throughout the day to multiple CO-related calls, carbon monoxide, uh, due to these snow drifts causing improper venting, Dave. In a moment, we're going to get tips from an expert. I I wonder if there's a simple fix for this besides shoveling every few hours, which is what people were doing. And I haven't been home in two days, so I don't know. I I hope my CO detector's not going off. I'll tell you this. I I wish this class was taught in high school or even college. 
right? Basic home maintenance. What vents are used for? What they do? I there are so many pipes and vents and things in my house. I don't know what they're attached to. I don't know what they do. Well, I also noticed that at Broadcast House here we got an email from the gas company uh, yesterday afternoon warning about this. And I thought, you know, I'd lived in Cottonwood Heights for years. I, I mean, I've never heard of this before. I don't know if the vents were on the roof, if they were high enough up the wall that I never had this issue. And right. I got a ton of snow. I was snow blowing all the time. I was always digging out up there. Uh, moved to South Jordan and they get the snowstorm of the century, apparently, over the last two days. I haven't been home. But, I, I, you know... I don't know how you're supposed to know all this stuff unless when you purchase a home, somebody says, hey, uh, a couple things you need to know about this home that's different than other construction. But maybe this is a long-time construction practice. Maybe this is new. I, I don't know. And let's be honest, Deb. You live a lot farther west. When we expect you know, 18 inches, 24 inches of snow, we're thinking about the benches right at the, yeah. the mouth of the canyons. That that would be understandable. If you're in daybreak on the west side, I, I was shocked. Yeah, Harriman. Oh, they did. When I moved out there, they're like, we don't get as much snow as you did get up there in those hills over there in Caldwell Heights. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't Until this know, year. I don't even know I'm going to ski home. Uh, Mike Wilson, Any Hour Services. Uh, let's talk about the CO danger first. And the ventilation systems I've seen posted seem particularly low to the ground. So when when... When they say be weary or be concerned about snow drifts, I just think you just need a few inches of snow. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is just when there is blowing snow that there's a problem. So let's start. Let's start with the CO uh, backing up into these homes if these vents are clogged by snow. Sure. So I mean, the first thing you've got usually the vents are going to vent low to the ground if your equipment is in a basement because they you have distance. Um, restrictions on high efficiency equipment as far as like how how far of a run you can run for those vents okay. and so that's why those usually vent out low to the ground it's not usually a problem unless we have a storm like we did yesterday where um, it's lots of snow really quickly and the wind happens to be blowing in just the right direction to make it actually pile up and cover it and so whenever that is happening, you definitely want to be aware of where your appliance is bent outside. It's not just furnaces. If it's a high-efficiency furnace, if you have a high-efficiency water heater like a tankless or something, those also vent out low to the ground. And so you're going to want to watch those. Most high-efficiency equipment is going to have some kind of safety mechanism uh, like a vacuum switch or an induction fan where it should sense when it's not venting and it preemptively shuts it down. So like, you know, the people in Harriman that were experiencing the the shutdown, um, their system, they probably noticed first that their heat wasn't coming on. And that is a safety precaution that the furnace manufacturers build in. And then if you go and you cover those vents, when your furnace goes back through another ignition cycle, it should come back on. Now, if you have if you happen to have a vent up high on the on the roof and it gets covered and it is feeding a uh, like a standard water heater, there it's possible that if that gets blocked, you could have CO leaking into the house. And that just goes back to why it's so important to make sure that you have 
some kind of CO detector into the house, whether it's the kind that tie in with your smoke detectors and, and can alert the whole home, or it's a plug-in down there in the equipment room to make sure that you're getting notified whenever there are um, abnormally high levels of CO2 in the home. Mike, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Uh, been a homeowner for a lot of years. I, I haven't given vents really two seconds of thought. Which vents do I need to absolutely be aware of? Are, are there more out there, or is it just the, the furnace vent that is the priority one? Well, uh, I would walk around the exterior of your home and see what kinds of things are coming out. So, like I said, if you do have a tankless water heater and a high-efficiency furnace, you may have two vents coming out uh, on the side of the home, and you need to pay attention to both of those. But it's also possible that those could both be coming in uh, at the same place. You also need to look for a – sometimes there is a – if you go into your equipment room in the basement, sometimes you'll see like a, an 8- to 10-inch pipe bringing fresh air into the house – that's actually combustion air. Those gas appliances need that combustion air to work properly. And if that is uh, bringing fresh air in low to the ground and you have snow drifts that pile up on it, you're going to want to clear the snow away from it as well. And again, it's, it's not the CO2. It, it can, it, it is dangerous and you want to be aware of that, but the most common problem that people are going to experience is that it is going to cause the systems to stop working. If you have really high winds, it's possible that it could blow out like a pilot light on your water heater. But yeah, just walking around your home and knowing where things are. And I heard you guys talking about how, what's a homeowner supposed to do? How are they supposed to know all yeah. these things? There's so much there to so know. Much. Yeah. And, and that's, that's one of the things that we try to do here is we, we put a lot of resources towards trying to educate homeowners. So if you went to YouTube and you looked up any hour services, we have over a hundred videos that we made where I'm at my house and I'm showing, here's how you flush a water heater. Here's how you replace an outlet. Here are these vents. If your furnace does stop working, what are the first five things that you need to try before you need to call a technician? And, and so like with your furnace and your HVAC system, airflow is the number one most important thing. And so that includes that airflow of the exhausting the dangerous gases outside of the home as well. So you just need to be aware of those vents. And most of the time, it's like I say, it's not going to, it doesn't mean that your furnace is broken. It just means that something it, it interrupted the, the normal operation of that furnace and the furnace manufacturers, the engineers knew that this was a potential hazard. And so they built in redundancy so that it would self-diagnose that shut down to hopefully try and save people from from harm. We're speaking with Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services and uh, trying to really pick his brain and find out, is there a real danger? What happens if some of these vents get covered up as they are right now being covered up by huge snow drifts and the crazy amount of snow we've gotten over the last couple of days? Uh, How about a dryer vent? Is is there any danger with the, the dryer vent? No, well, I mean, your dryer's not going to work as well, but your that dryer vent, all it's doing is it is exhausting uh, warm, moist air that it's extracting from the wet clothes that are in the house. And so kind of like when the dryer vent gets clogged up with too much lint, the the whole way that it works is you've got this big heat exchanger and you blow that hot air over those clothes as they're tumbling around. And if it doesn't get rid of that 
warm, moist air, the clothes will never dry. Yeah. So that one's not as much of a, a dangerous okay. situation, but it definitely is an annoyance, uh, just the same way as if you were to get too much lint. Mike, but yeah, you could watch the dryer vents as well. Mike, we've got about literally 30 seconds left. I think it's an important yes, question uh, to get asked. Besides running out and shoveling, which people were doing out in the southwest end of the valley, their vents every few hours, is there some sort of a cover that people could buy that could prevent this the snow from drifting in and covering those vents that would still keep the carbon monoxide from building up inside the home? Uh, unfortunately, you, you have to be aware of it. I mean, okay. if you were, uh, you know, had some ingenuity, you could like try and block something off, but you don't want to block it so yeah. much that it's not getting okay. fresh air. Just pay attention to it and keep it, uh, keep the snow away from it as much as possible. Great information. Mike Wilson, any hour services. Thanks. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And do I, as a homeowner, think it's my responsibility? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's my responsibility to know. Uh, I just would have liked to have known this, uh, before yesterday. And I so appreciate, uh, you know, what really stood out to me is we've got neighbors out there helping neighbors. Really. I mean, this is what that was about. The community pulled together yesterday, neighbors helping neighbors, notifying neighbors of this potential life-safe, life-threatening safety issue in those communities. Severe Utah weather. Special coverage with Dave Dejanovic. If you're trying to keep track of all the schools that have been canceled, delayed, um, or are on time this morning... Um, yeah, you're going to have to go to the complete list because it's long. It's on KSL. Uh, newsradio.com. But this, I think this storm caused a lot of confusion and chaos for the past couple of days because some areas just got a few inches, like where Dave lives. Others got a few feet. So it was messy. There are a few things that I hate more than that 5 a.m. robocall from the school (laughs) district. Because it's kind of like school roulette. Like You don't know what they're going to tell you. Are they going to cancel it? Is it going to be a remote learning day? Is it just going to be a two-hour delayed start? That's the favorite of the Davis School District right now. It's like, we're not going to cancel it. We're not going to do remote learning. We're just going to do a two-hour delayed start. We're going to let start. you slip and slide at 10 a.m. Yeah. instead of... Yeah, so much better. And and that's what this is right <laughs> now, right? A two-hour delayed start is right around 10 o'clock right now. So the these two-hour delayed starts, kids are starting to arrive to school. And you look outside and you're like, oh, it's pretty nice. It seems like a pretty good time to go to school. The question we're asking, though, is why don't school districts make this call way earlier? Why do they have to wait till 5 a.m. or 6 a.m.? to give that robocall to all the parents. This is what the Granite School District said. And this was, when did they say this to us? Was this on Tuesday? Tuesday, okay. We don't make decisions based on forecasts because, frankly, forecasts are never 100% correct. And that is true, right? I mean, obviously, you're you're trying to make a decision with the best available information. And what I hear uh, Ben Horsley of the Granite School District saying is, until we see... The snow on the ground. Until we know that the snowplow drivers are able to clear uh, the way for school buses or clear the parking lots, we're not going to make that call. And unfortunately for parents, you're not going to get that information probably until 5 or 6 a.m. day of. Most of our middle income or higher income families, uh, that's not going to be an impact for them. And frankly, they'll stay home and and go skiing um, regardless of what we decide to do. 
it's uh, the other 60% of our families who are at risk and those kids don't necessarily have access to meals at home. And I think ultimately what, what I want to know is why don't we just say early on, just plan on remote learning. Mm. Just plan on it. And, and on Tuesday, think, when we were discussing, we knew this was coming. We knew there was going to be a big storm. Now, of course, we don't know how big it's going to be. It turned out to be a monster, a top 10 <laughs> storm, right? This was huge. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't always play out that way. I can't tell you how many times we've done like snowmageddon tomorrow. And it's like a wimpy little storm. Sometimes that happens. Well, yeah, I was, I was just sitting here yesterday and, and navigating this, this snowstorm and our coverage and we were taking lots of phone calls from our listeners who were out in it, had just driven in it, were shoveling their way through it. Um, something really came to light for me, and that is that I think we missed as a, as a community, um, more broadly as a state, an opportunity for a cohesive decision that made sense across the board for all families. You look at me like, man, maybe not. But I, I do. I think that this one should have come from the top uh, and the districts um, that were all scrambling and huddling and trying to figure out to do with their individual districts. Um, we should have we, everybody should have come to the table and it should have been more cohesive from the Davis district to the Salt Lake City School District to the Granite District to the Tooele Di- School District and, and Murray and beyond instead of all of these individual robocalls going out. So I noticed that and it was it was listener randy who really drove this point home so so here you have randy who is uh you know husband uh, extraordinaire his wife is a school teacher in the davis school district they live in mill creek on the east side of salt lake county she's worried about driving because you said davis had schools right yesterday dave your kids were in school yeah kind of odd though we had a little mishmash of schools the elementaries were delayed for two hours, but the high schools okay. were right on time. Okay, so they start regular day. So even wow. even within the school districts, there's no consistency from school wow. to school. That I, that I did not realize. Um, but you were right in the middle of that because that's where your kids go. Yeah. And Randy drives his wife from Mill Creek up to Davis County, and then he gets back home, and he's like, okay, this is I'm putting words into Randy's mouth, but he's like, "This is madness, right? This is madness." I, I mean, like, we just we we can remote learn now, right? We know how to do that. Yeah, I uh, we live in East Mill Creek, but my wife uh, is a teacher in Davis District. I, I just really question whether the districts care at all about their their staff and their teachers when we've learned so much from COVID. And yet they uh, uh, can't plan ahead a uh, remote learning day, give teachers a chance to plan for it uh, and announce it plenty of time in advance. Because, you know, teachers don't live right next to the school. Maybe the kids do, but the teachers don't. And it just doesn't seem to be uh, a point of consideration in their paradigm. Something that I really hadn't thought of. Uh, I just assumed, I guess, that teachers, janitors, uh, the cooking staff just live close because I live close, right? My kids go to the the closest school to our home, but that's not the case. A lot of times you've got 
teachers that are living uh, two or three cities away and they have to commute in. And this is a great example. Working in Davis School District, which we didn't get a lot of snow, you know, six inches, maybe four to six inches. It was not a ton of snow like you guys saw down here in Salt Lake. But if you're traveling from Mill Creek, which is, again, Snowmageddon, and it, and you're trying to get to Davis, that is that is a nightmare. I think you told me of a story yesterday that a, that a teacher took about three hours yeah. to get to school. Yeah, and you go you go from maybe you live uh, in you know Magna, and you've got to commute uh, to a district in Utah County yeah. that's decided to do late start, or you uh, not or only not a teacher, but you're a member of the staff. Uh, you are. A janitor, you're, you run the cafeteria at the school. And I thought I'd heard, this is what was so wild to me yesterday, is I thought I'd heard many of our state departments and even the governor say, look, if you can stay home, yeah. do. So this is what brings me back to our point about where's the cohesiveness when it comes to deciding Two-hour delay start, three-hour delay start, remote learning, no yeah, high schools in, but elementary schools on delay. Uh, this group, Where's the cohesiveness? Why do we have this patchwork approach when we now know this? The, maybe the only thing we can thank COVID for is <laughs> kids have laptops at home. We know how to remote learn. Schools did it for way longer than parents would prefer. Why? Why would we not make it more cohesive? But maybe there are good reasons I'm not I'm not understanding. Yeah. I I wonder if we have a little PTSD when it comes to remote learning. Like it was such a bad experience for so many people that we're we're avoiding it at all costs. When I just don't see the downside. Say, for example, on Tuesday, uh, we'd come across that we expect this huge mm-hmm. storm. Again, you you talked about the governor. The governor tweeted that out on Tuesday. He said, we're expecting a major snowstorm starting tonight. If you can, we encourage you to work remotely. Stay safe, Utah. That was from the governor, right? So why didn't we just say, okay, let's do remote learning tomorrow. Just plan on it, parents. I'm going to give you, parents, not two hours notice. I'm going to give you 12, 14, 16 hours notice to find uh, uh, some daycare to stay home, to call your boss and say, hey, can I work remotely? There's a lot of things you can do in 12 hours that you can't do in two hours. And we're not going to make teachers and school staff brave 24 inches of snowdrifts to get to work in a different county or a different city. Exactly. And and then think of this. Worst case scenario, the big one doesn't hit. You know, it's a little sprinkling. You can say, all right, never mind business as usual, just come to school, or you just have a remote working day. You just have a remote learning day. You just do it anyway. Big deal. So how many times are we going to do this in in a school year? Half a dozen at most? We're talking about six days, six days of remote learning. And that's if you just plan it out on all the big storms. I don't see the downside to it. All right, let's take phone calls. 801-575-TALK. Should the governor... The school board, the board of education, or the state superintendent, somebody, you called it earlier when we launched the show. The snow days are. <laughs> Decide. Should, should we have a snow days are? Yeah. 
set something that is uniform instead of this patchwork mishmash way that the school districts are handling it now. Severe Utah weather special coverage with David Janovic. Taking live phone calls right now at 801-575-TALK. Do you feel like, you know, after yesterday's messiness with so many different school schedules, that we need a snow day czar, someone who can make the decision easy for school districts, just from a 30,000-foot-up level, say, you get a snow day, you get a snow day, you get a snow day. <laughs> I tell you, the, the snow day czar is intriguing because it is a mishmash of you have no idea. Like, I had no idea yesterday that the elementaries in my school district were delayed for two hours, but my son went to high school just normal day. Like, they didn't adjust those times at all. That was really strange. It's hard to keep track of what's going on when you have kind of this all-over-the-place scheduling coming from every single district. We're asking for your live phone calls at 801-575-TALK. I know the superintendent of the Tooele School District is waiting on the line. He heard our shout-out for live calls. Um, They got buried in Tooele. They did. And I know that they canceled school or went to remote virtual learning today again. Uh, I also want to give a shout-out to Randy in Mill Creek, who called the show and brought this to our attention yesterday during the mayhem of Snowmageddon of February of 2023. He'd just gotten back from dropping his wife off. He'd driven her from Mill Creek in Salt Lake County up to Davis County, where she's a school teacher. I, I just really question whether the districts care at all about their their staff and their teachers. Teachers don't live right next to the school. Maybe the kids do, but the teachers don't. And it just doesn't seem to be uh, a point of consideration in their paradigm. Well, let's just ask uh, one of those guys in charge, Dr. Mark Ernst, who is the superintendent of the Tooele County School District. Uh, Dr. Ernst, thanks for joining us. Yeah, you're very welcome. I am happy to, to add to the conversation. Are you buried right now? Yeah, we're, I, we're, it's pretty rough out here in Tooele. I'm driving around, uh, checking in on all the schools. And uh, the interesting thing now is we're dealing with a lot of wind, so we have really high snow drifts we're trying to move. But, uh, yeah, it, it's a lot of snow out here in, in Tooele. What about the idea of a snow czar, somebody you know, from Capitol Hill or from the state office or state board of education who ultimately makes the decision to cancel schools, maybe in a, a swath of counties that are going to be consumed by a snowstorm like we had yesterday, instead of having, you know, teachers and staff zigzag back and forth during days like yesterday. What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah that is an intriguing idea. And you're right. It would have to be, you know, geographical areas <clears throat> that are all together. Uh, there was a time earlier this year where, the Salt Lake districts uh, went on a remote day and we didn't out here in Twilla because it didn't impact us. Uh, and so it would have to be a group of nearby counties. And then, yeah, one person that, that communicates with all those superintendents to, to know what's going on and, and then get the word out. Can you walk us through a little bit? What I feel is a hesitancy to do remote learning. I don't know if it's PTSD because we had such a bad experience during COVID, but it feels like we're bending over backwards when it seems like the answer is just right in our face. Say, stay home, we'll do remote learning. 
Is there a hesitancy? Yeah, I, I do think you're correct that there is a little bit of a hesitancy. And I think the first thing comes down to is there's no doubt that in-person instruction is better. That That is our, our ideal situation. However, when you factor in that we do know how to do remote learning and we can provide a pretty good alternative for our students, that we should take advantage of that. And that is the exact reason why we extended our remote learning to today is we know what we're doing. There's really no downside. Uh, our, our students and families are familiar with remote learning, and it gives our custodial staff, our maintenance workers, extra time to dig out from from such a crazy snowstorm that, like you said, it's it doesn't happen very often. And so when it does, let's take advantages of the tools we have at our disposal. All right. Superintendent of the Tooele School District, thank you so much. Did, I, did we, did we just find our new snow czar? <laughs> Snow days are, Dr. Mark Ernst. What, what do you think? <laughs> you get the power. <laughs> well, maybe so. We'll see. Okay. All right. Well, you guys stay safe out there in the Tooele Valley. Dr. Mark Ernst, who's the superintendent of the Tooele County School District, thanks so much for uh, joining the conversation. Doug from West Valley City, good morning. What do you think about this idea of a statewide snow czar for schools? I don't think it works very well because you've got so much different snow in different areas that I think it needs to go on a case-by-case basis. But to think that it's all, you know, even with 12 hours notice for families to give a, to be able to find a sitter does not always work. Uh, In my case, it doesn't work. And it's pretty naive. Dave said he can't find the downside to it. Well, he's pretty naive then because, you know, most of us had to go to work and we had to brave the snow. I work in a company of about 120 people, and we only had four people who didn't show up, including people who drove little Honda Accords that sit three inches off of the ground. They still made it. Yeah, Yeah, I I get it. There's there's a lot of people that can kind of tough it out. I I just know... That two, that five a.m. phone call, that robo call, and when we're scrambling trying to to make uh, arrangements, uh, twelve hours way better for us than two hours. Jeff uh, from West Valley, let's get you in on the conversation as well. Uh, what do you think about some cohesive decision making um, regarding snow days and schools? Well, I, I think that uh, I think that the the snow czar is a pretty cush job i'd like to apply for it we like some we like some fat we in our government that it was a volunteer position did we but go ahead oh, jeff okay. give us your take <laughs> so i've got elementary junior high and high school students and it's definitely insanity across all the all the the, the court coordination of it but i will say too though that um I wonder how it's going to affect kids and people's work ethic. You know, we've got family members that don't have an option to go to work or not, you know, nurses, gas station attendants and whatnot, and they have to get there. And it seems like, you know, when things like this come up, uh, our students stay at home. It's not. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. 
But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. would much rather be in school. And uh, so, yeah, I just wonder how it affects the work ethic when you're raising kids that are, um, you know, able to stay at home and do things differently. Yeah, it would be a problem if our our firefighters and our police officers couldn't show up to work because they had to stay home and be with the kids all day, like on a day like yesterday when they were scrambling all over the place to get to people who needed help. So you bring up some great points. Yeah, if this was if this was happening all the time, I, I would I would totally agree with you, Jeff. Uh, I think for the handful of times it really does affect us. You know, at most two or three, four times a year, uh, we know how to do it. Uh, ease the burden on on uh, the faculty, the staff in the schools. We can do it. We can do remote learning. Why not take advantage of that? I think the world is changing. Not just from an educational uh, stance, but from uh, work from home. You know, I mean, th- this is something that you and I can do at our job. It's the modern workplace. Remote working is part of it. You've got to learn how to still work from home. Well, I just want to add to that that while we can, I didn't always have that ability, and a lot of people don't have the ability to work from home. I mean, a doctor cannot perform an emergency surgery in the ER from his kitchen. So I I think it's a great conversation. Maybe we didn't come up with any firm answers, but we floated something out there, and we certainly have our first candidate. Dave Dave and the We're nearly three weeks into this um, just scary and fiery train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, and today we're expecting a preliminary report that's going to be released. Um, I, I think if it hasn't been released any moment now, we're going to get live with News Nation on the latest to figure out if we know what caused that derailment. Yeah, I think we want to know uh, what was going on with the train company. They did this odd thing. Were they really handing out a $1,000 inconvenience I, checks? I heard that. Like you like could, you could put in. Ago. Yeah. Like, are they trying to settle this fiasco with with a thousand dollar payoff? I mean, I, I think they're pretty optimistic. Uh, people are dealing with rashes, nosebleeds, uh, asthmatic type symptoms. Um, but let's let's go back to this thousand dollar check. The company says, uh, if you receive the thousand dollar check, you're not going to be giving up any future rights when it comes to litigation. They're just saying that they're acting in good faith. I also. I think I saw a picture of public officials inside some of the homes there because when this train derailed, and we're going to get the details from someone who's been on the scene um, there covering this story, there was some like toxic stuff uh, that was released. And the town, I remember the town was getting evacuated. And, and we haven't covered this on this show. 
And so we're learning a lot about this information um, as we speak as well. Well, listen, uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, <laughs> he's he's just showing up right now. Mm. So we're late to the story, but you know who's been on this story all along? Uh, News Nation. Investigative correspondent Rich McHugh joins us right now. Uh, has been on the scene in Ohio, uh, I think, for what better part of the last week or so. Uh, Rich, how, how are things going now? Things are. Uh, thanks, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. Um, I'm, I'm. I've been there about a week, a little over a week, <clears throat> and I'm on my way back to see my family for a bit. But uh, things have been bad there. Uh, I'll be honest. Like they, for when I first showed up, I was interviewing families who had, like, they just didn't know what to do. They were uh, they ha- their houses hadn't been tested. They were getting rashes. They were upset. There wasn't a lot of communication. That seemed to change a little bit uh, over the weekend. And then once Trump announced that he was coming, and so there has been more kind of aid directed to them. But it's it's kind of been just this mess uh, that you know if you've covered other disasters before, like there's usually centralized um, locations where people are are focusing the relief, and that that just wasn't happening here. <clears throat> It seemed like all the efforts were directed at, you know, obviously cleaning where the the trains like crashed and and they they kind of released all the chemicals into the air. But then there were all these homes around and they weren't being cleaned. They weren't being, the residents weren't being told what to do. And it created this problem. And, you know, we were getting asked by the residents, like, where do we go? And it's like, I've never covered something like this where there's just a complete disconnect between. Wow. The officials there and, and, the, and the residents. And I, I just looked up the population. And by the way, if you're just joining us, uh, you're listening to this conversation, this is Rich McHugh. He's with News Nation. He has been extensively covering that train derailment that caused that town in, in Ohio to be evacuated. The population there is like, according to the 2021 numbers I'm looking at, Rich, less than 5,000 people who live there. This train derails, and I I remember seeing pictures of just, like, smoke in the air. And then I see, like, people throwing rocks inside, it looks like, um, at a a creek or a river. And then all of this looks like oil kind of bubbling up or chemicals. But ultimately, what is it that was released from that train derailment that was so toxic and scary? So this train derailed on February 3rd, and it was carrying all these toxic chemicals. Uh, they didn't announce that to the public, what it was carrying for a couple of days. And then they had a controlled release, quote, controlled release, on uh, whatever it was, three days later, and released these chemicals into the air. And the problem is, and I've talked to some, some um, scientists on the ground, independent scientists, they say, like, when you release these chemicals into the air, they combine and they form, sometimes they form, other compounds that are far more dangerous than the original chemicals, which are dangerous in their own right. And so that's what they're testing for right now. These independent testers, they're testing the water and the ground to see like what has trickled down into the ground and to the water. And so I think that's what you're seeing. Like I tested the water myself. I heard that people were doing this down in like in the Creek, like dragging the stick or throwing a rocket and seeing like the, sh- the sheen come up in like a rainbow. Yeah. And sure enough, it happens. And you see, like, firsthand, like, these creeks and these rivers are, they're just loaded with this stuff. And so if that's in the rivers, like, it's everywhere. Can you can you dive into this aspect? It's very, been very strange. We haven't seen President Biden show up. Pete Buttigieg is showing up kind of late to the party. But uh, former President Trump 
shows up and has a rally. I mean, can you can you walk us through some of the political fallout here? Well, sure. I mean, I, I was sitting in a diner this morning having breakfast, and the 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 blue judge had just showed up, and I overheard the the people next to me saying like. This guy should have been here on day one. Like, it's three weeks later. This is embarrassing. They didn't even care that he was here. People were grateful that Trump was in town and had come to town. Some had said, like, all right, we're done with the circus atmosphere. But, like, whatever you think of Trump, he he did get everybody to all of a sudden come here uh, because he was the first one. And then all of a sudden they're like, okay, the head of the EPA is coming. Buttigieg is coming now all of a sudden. Um, So this town is ready for, like, the, the political parade to be over but they they need the help and so they're they're kind of welcoming it for the near term but they're just they see it for what it is there's just a lot of it's a dog and pony show where these politicians are going in setting things up and then doing photo shoots and and then leaving and so the hard part comes now when everybody leaves and they're they're left to these these people are left to fend for themselves it's the heartbreaking story out of a small town in ohio 4,700 people or so live there, and Rich McHugh has been covering the train derailment that people fear has just poisoned the environment there uh, for the last few weeks. Uh, I I worry about long-term side effects uh, for the residents there, Rich, and I I also am puzzled by this $1,000 that I saw a story on that was offered, I think it was by the company, uh, what is that all about, and how will they know, um, you know, if they're at risk for, for diseases such as cancer down the road because of this? Well, th- those are precisely the questions. So the, initially, the company Norfolk Southern set up like a command in, in a church nearby, handing out like inconvenience che- <coughs> checks for like a thousand bucks to people, and um, and then they were saying if you're staying in hotels just because you evacuated, send us the receipts and we'll, we'll reimburse you for them. I've talked to people who've been denied. You know, they've gone and asked for, like, okay, gone back a second time and said, I've been staying in another hotel. And they've, they've been turned away, saying, like, all right, you're, you've capped. We, we've given you enough money. So there's a lot of distrust growing what? over this whole process. Wow. And there's distrust. Like, people people don't know. I've talked to people who are who, who live near the crash, and they're like, I can't go back into my house. Like, I have three little kids. I can't raise them there. We're, we're gone. Like, we're going to have to sell this house. So – there's nothing being done on that front, unfortunately. Like, these people ha- are having to hire independent uh, testing people. You know, they're forming class action lawsuits. It's a David and Goliath situation that is going to stretch on for years. People who are, um, you know, uh, people who've studied, like, 9-11 and, like, the, the, the ground zero, when they said, yeah, everybody's free to go back. It's safe. The head of the EPA said that way back when. It's, it's kind of the same That's feeling right. now. They're like, okay, it's, it's safe to go back. You can go back. And the townspeople aren't buying it. They're like, we don't believe this. This is PR. And so I think this is just going to drag on for years. And it's, I think it's going to be worse than I, – I could be totally wrong, but the scientist that I was testing or that was testing that I, I followed along with yesterday said, if they find dioxin here, which is a compound that is created when these chemicals kind of join forces in the air, that's bad. Like, this, this place could be a ghost town. Wow. Fascinating reporting uh, from uh, News Nation investigative correspondent Rich McHugh. Thank you for joining us. He's been in Ohio at the scene, uh, walking through th- this area and uh, seeing firsthand as he throws 
pebbles into the the, mm-hmm. the lake beds or the stream beds. You you see the sheen bubble up. I mean, just incredible amount of toxins and heartbreaking for those families heartbreaking for those families just looking for some answers and then finally in swoops transportation secretary pete Buttigieg. finally and he said you know town people at the cafe are looking around and being like he should have been here on day one day one okay new commitment uh right here on the show we got to continue to follow this story and the developments over the next several weeks if not months uh because i I just cannot imagine if that would ha- happen in one of our, you know, little towns uh, around Utah. And I feel, feel for those families. Another little thing I've learned in researching, do you know how many train derailments we will have in a, in a given year in, in, an, in the United States? In 2021, 1,100 train derailments. It's more frequent than I would have thought. I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. this one was really bad. It brings a yeah. lot of it, attention to it, but I had no idea. We were averaging about three a day. Uh, straight ahead. I'm really excited for this discussion. We have some really big news for Real Salt Lake fans. Stick around. We'll tell you what it is. Dave and Dujanovic. All right, listen up, soccer fans. We got an awesome announcement for you. We're the president of Real Salt Lake, uh, joining us in just a matter of moments to... Oh, he's making a big announcement. I'm going to steal a little of his thunder. He, he'll explain the announcement, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the glory here because this is very, very exciting. KSL Sports is the new home, the radio home, for Real Salt Lake. Games will be broadcast on KSL Sports Zone, occasionally here on KSL News Radio. You can stream it across all the KSL apps. The first match this Saturday, it's going to air on the KSL Sports Zone, 1280 a.m. here on 1160. The Zone's morning drive host, David James, and longtime RSL broadcaster Jay Nolly will do the play by play. John Kimball, Real Salt Lake president, live on the line with us. Well, I'm really excited about this. I'm sure you are, too. We are so excited. Uh, we've been working with KSL on the streaming side for a number of years. And you guys have just been such fantastic partners. And for me, it's I get to come home. I, I actually used to work with KSL, and I actually used to work with The Zone. And so for me, uh, on both sides, uh, it just feels like I'm coming home. So, so grateful to be back on the air with KSL and with KSL Sports, and uh, just really excited for this season. It has been incredible as you see the landscape change with streaming devices and classic cable, radio, podcast. There are so many ways to reach people now. Uh, Why the switch? You know, we have just had such a great partnership, and I've been working with Tanya and with your group over the last couple of years trying to make this happen. And the time was right. It's always the right time to do the right thing. And this is the right thing for us moving forward. And uh, there's just, you know, the platform, the audience, we just feel there's not only a great opportunity to reach our amazing soccer fans, but also to reach a whole new group of people uh, that may not know much about soccer. And we'll have that opportunity to showcase uh, the beautiful game. We're live right now on the line with John Kimball. He's Real Salt Lake 
president uh, making a big announcement today starting very soon. I think it's just the next couple of days. We're going to get to that in just a moment. You can listen to uh, Real Salt Lake Games right here at KSL News Radio. When you speak of Tanya, you mean Tanya Vea. She's our executive uh, vice president. Um, and she, she's got a general manager. She's got a long title. But I do know she is a, a big proponent of local sports and our local sports community and involvement um, with kids and sports and all that. So it's super, it just fits. It fits our brand. It fits what we do. And I love the fact that I can just tune in to my favorite radio station and, and listen to uh, RSL games. So tell us when, 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 when will these start, John? So this Saturday we play an away game uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, we've <laughs> yeah. got a little bit of snow on the ground. And even though it's up in Vancouver, they're playing inside. Uh, so we'll be playing this Saturday against Vancouver, uh, March, uh, and then March 11th will be our first home game. But the uh, the kickoff for what we're doing with KSL and KSL Sports is this Saturday against Vancouver, and then you'll be able to pick up the games every week. After that, we play Seattle, uh, which is another away game, and then we'll be playing uh, on March 11th against Austin. We have a huge announcement that will be coming out that game. So we're excited to not only have a full stadium, but to make a big announcement uh, that will obviously be breaking here on KSL, KSL Sports. Well, that's but, a deep uh, tease, John. <laughs> yeah. How yeah, long do I have to wait excited. for that? I, I'm making, yeah, I'm, just, I'm, just a couple of weeks. I'm, I'm putting but, a note uh, in my calendar, John. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. Very exciting. Like I said, a couple of away games at the start of the season just because of the snow. And then we'll be back home on March 11th. But all of these games will be broadcast through streaming and through uh, the radio stations with KSL and Bonneville International. I don't know if you ever do this, but I, I love to do this, Deb. I, and I'm, I'm curious, John, can fans watch games and sync the KSL News Radio call oh. to the television this year? Sometimes I like to listen to the, the TV guys do their thing. Sometimes I like to listen to the radio uh, play out as I watch the game. Is that a possibility? You know what? When I, when I worked at KSL, that was a big deal with BYU Sports yeah. where, you know, you would want to listen to the broadcast of 1160. And that's what's one of the cool announcements that we have with Apple TV uh, carrying our games this year. First off, the first game uh, this weekend against Vancouver is free. And so you can go to Apple TV and watch that for free. Then going forward, there, there is a, an MLS fee or an MLS pass that you can sign up for. But the coolest thing that you can do is you can then on Apple television, there'll be a drop down for KSL that you can click on and you can actually listen to David James and Jay Nolly calling the games live. And we absolutely encourage that because obviously they know more about our team. They know more about our you know, our, our culture, they know more about our community and they're just pros when it comes to sports. And we're excited to announce David James and Jay Nolly. And then you can listen, go to, go watch it on Apple television and go to that drop down to KSL and you'll be able to listen to the live broadcast, local live broadcast. I love it. This is huge news. John Kimball, thank you for yeah. joining us. Real Salt Lake president, uh, big news at KSL uh, is going to be carrying Real Salt Lake Games on 1160 AM, also on KSL Sports Zone, 1280 AM. John, can I ask you one question? You're still with us? 
Yes. Oh, yeah. I want to know. I want to go to that March 11th game. Is the game? Are there tickets still available? They are, but I, I will tell you that game will sell out quickly. Okay. Uh, that's one of our <laughs> most attended two games, but we'd love to host you guys. Oh, and thank you. I would be... love to have your listeners uh, come join us. Yeah, so please well. go to rsl.com and, and get tickets quick. Okay. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. It's good to hear from you. What an awesome announcement. And thank I'm, I'm so grateful to have uh, Real Salt Lake uh, in Utah. I take, took my kids there when we were young. We just had such a blast at those games. Uh, such a great family activity. Yeah, it's been an incredible success here in Salt Lake. Uh, outstanding and, and huge news. That's great. Dave and Dujanovic have inside sources. You know, it's, we have just been watching this war in uh, Ukraine unfold, and, and it just feels like it's been 10 years. 10 years that the Ukrainian people have been dealing with just horrific situations. And I look at this information our producer handed us, and he's like, she's like, it's like tomorrow marks one year. I remember uh, early on when, when this first started, uh, we talked to David Levitt, who was the Utah County attorney. He lived in yeah. Ukraine mm-hmm. for a number of years, um, served, helped them kind of start up and, and uh, organize some of the, um, you know, the laws, lawyers, judges, stuff like that. He, he, he was very uh, important that way. But he lived there for so long. And he was absolutely convinced when the Russians invaded, and you saw this march early on. It looked like they were just going to walk through Ukraine, and then all of a sudden, it just stopped. There was a 40-mile column of, of armored personnel vehicles that just stopped, and the Ukrainian people just fought tenaciously yeah. for their land. And Boyd, let's bring you into the conversation. You know, let's admit it. We said the same thing on this show. I remember we were thinking it would be by the weekend yeah. Kiev would fall. And yeah. here we are. They are still fighting. Yeah, and and you go back to that very first weekend, and and everyone was you know sending well wishes and prayers. And President Biden said, "Hey, we'll give you a ride out of town uh, on a plane." And President Zelensky said, "I don't need a ride out. I need guns and weapons because yep. we will stand." And the Ukrainian people have shown that over and over and over again. That uh, even given things late uh, or minimum. Uh, in terms of what was being sent to them to use in the in the fight, uh, they have shown they can make a whole lot out of nothing. Uh, and it just shows you the, the power of freedom. I think two of the things that we underestimate in Ukraine, not a perfect country to be sure, nor was the government uh, great going in. They had a lot of corruption and things that they were trying to correct. But they had two really strong things going in the country. And one was that religious freedom had really sunk in. It's a very religious uh country and uh, one of the largest synagogues outside of the Middle East is in Ukraine of mm. all places so interesting there and then the other thing that's so fascinating to me is that they had all started to experience this upward mobility small businesses entrepreneurs uh, people who were Freedom. at this yeah it's Freedom. all of the things and uh, the force of that within the Ukrainian people uh, has continued to carry the day and I still say the thing that Vladimir Putin fears the most is entrepreneurship and religious freedom because the people in Russia hear that they've seen that from their from their relatives and their friends who have been living in Ukraine and I still think more than sanctions more than anything else that's what Vladimir Putin fears the most I remember uh, looking back on it it's almost understandable 
why we thought Ukraine would fall so quickly because we had just gotten out of Afghanistan and the the Afghan army put up zero fight when the Taliban just walked through. And I, I think maybe there was some recency bias. We thought, well, maybe that's what's going to happen yeah. here in Ukraine. To see the tenacity of which the, the Ukrainian people have, have stepped up and fought for their freedom, fought yeah. for their rights. What does this do for the future of Ukraine? And, and I guess my question is, some of the corruption, some of the difficulties they had beforehand, does this help solidify uh, their understanding of, of what kind of country they can be? Uh, no question about it. And uh, to President Zelensky's credit, even in the middle of a war, he has been cleaning house. Uh, it doesn't get a lot of news coverage, but every so often you'll see a little blurb that, you know, this uh-huh. department, they cleaned house and uh-huh. moved these people out. Uh, that's unbelievable. You think of all the things that he's worried about in a given day uh, dealing with, uh, you know, executing the war. And now he's saying, you know what, that department over there, that's really corrupt. we got to fix that. Uh, and so to do that in the midst of that I think is so important. And that may be the most important message to the Ukrainian people. Uh, I've kind of likened it to Abraham Lincoln continuing the work on the Capitol Dome during the Civil War. Because what President Lincoln was saying was, we're going to be here for the long haul. Yes, we're in the middle of a war. We don't even know if we're going to be able to keep this thing together. And we're working on the Capitol Dome today uh, to do that. And I think President Zelensky has taken a similar tack to say, we're going to clean house. We're going to make sure government is strong and transparent and clear and effective because this is where we want the Ukrainian people to be long after Vladimir Putin and his troops are gone. I have to say, I mean, here's a man I would imagine that most Americans couldn't even pick out of a crowd prior to this invasion. Uh, and now I wonder if he's not one of the most recognizable faces among people who are at least paying yeah. attention to this. And he shows up in you know army greens everywhere he goes, in his fatigues. And I'm I'm enamored and amazed by his tenacity. And, yeah. and I wonder if he wouldn't make a great leader even in this nation. Yeah. Oh, there's so many things that he's doing. His his communication strategies have just been unbelievable. Uh, the Biden administration could take some some lessons. Yeah. Uh, a lot of politicians could take there, some lessons. Right? Yeah. I mean, he communicates regularly. Yeah. And he uses social media effectively. Yeah. Uh, he hasn't and, shied away from the cameras, and he hasn't been shy to ask for the things that he feels his military and his people need. Yeah. There is an authenticity and a and a courageous vulnerability uh, when he says. Yeah, we're we're fighting for everybody's freedom, and yeah, some tanks would be helpful, or we really got to have this if you expect us to to hold out and win. Uh, I think he is one of those extraordinary people in history. Uh, many have compared him to a to a Winston Churchill, uh, and mm. you think of Churchill and uh, Churchill's quote that to every person there comes that moment when they're figuratively tapped on the shoulder and given the opportunity to do something special. Uh, and then Churchill, of course, cautioned, you know, what a tragedy if that moment finds them unwilling or unprepared for what could have been their finest hour. Uh, clear to me that President Zelensky was ready for that finest hour, and he's produced a year full uh, of finest hours by communicating with clarity, with passion, with transparency, and with an authenticity that we haven't seen in world leaders in a very long time. And also a lot of patience. I, I would imagine that President Zelensky has got to be so frustrated because you've seen this slow rollout of military support yeah. from the world. Yeah. And he's had to just sit there, be grateful, knowing full well that it's insufficient, that he needs more guns, more 
heavy artillery, and he's just had to wait for the the rest of the world to catch up with his needs. Yeah, and that that frustration has to be so immense. He knows what he needs, and he knows what the world needs. Uh, and to see some for political purposes, some for positioning purposes, some not wanting to offend a, an enemy or an ally that are just dragging their feet or going really slow. Uh, I'm sure he probably has a room. One of the great civil rights leaders had a room where she would go in and she had Coke bottles and she would just throw them against the wall. <laughs> and I am sure President Zelensky has got to have a room somewhere Absolutely. there in Kiev where he can go in and just uh, vent a little bit that often other world leaders uh, aren't acting like world leaders. They're, they're in that slow roll category. What do you make of the pushback? I know we're short on time, but the pushback largely from GOP lawmakers of continuing to fund this war or trying to figure out at what point is there a price point that we that we have to prepare for? Yeah, I, I think the conversation is a legitimate in terms of let's make sure there's no waste, fraud or abuse. Let's make sure we have very clear objectives and directives. Uh, and that's a good conversation. That's not being anti-Ukraine. That's not being pro-Kremlin. Uh, just have an authentic conversation, some clarity and transparency. Uh, and the American people will buy into that. And the people of the world will buy into that. And And we should just note that the United States is not the only one who's footing the bill. And it even is beyond guns and tanks and weapons. The people of Europe are paying immense prices to heat their homes. Some are only being able to use electricity parts of the day with with, uh, brownouts and blackouts. And so we've got it fairly easy here in the U.S., and we should keep that in mind when we look at the total cost that everyone is investing in the freedom of Ukraine. And welcoming refugees. Yeah. Absolutely. Boyd Matheson, thank you for joining us. Uh, Inside Sources from 1 to 3. Straight ahead, uh, Lindsay Ayrich joining the show on the goings-on on on Capitol Hill as we tick down to the end of the legislative session. Uh, We're going to dive into what I think is the longest ping-pong match I've ever seen play out on Capitol Hill over several decades, and that is the food tax ping-pong match. Do lawmakers have it in them this year to finally get rid of the tax on food. Utah weather special coverage with David Dijanovic. I want to jump out to uh, Ryan Love with the Unified Fire Authority uh, because uh, earlier when we were having a discussion about uh, the ventilation systems in a lot of homes, especially we saw a lot of concerns on the southwest part of the valley, like Harriman in South Jordan, and the natural gas uh, appliances like the furnace or the water heater being vented to the exterior of the home and getting clogged by snow, which could then create a CO hazard, carbon monoxide buildup in the home. We got a text, Dave, during that conversation from a fire captain who said, I'm listening now, a little worried that some of the information that you all are putting out may not be the best advice. So we want to make sure we get that information correctly, uh, correct. So uh, CO, carbon monoxide. CO2, carbon dioxide. Right. Which one do I put in my Diet Coke? Is it CO2? I tell you what. You put the, the issue is carbon monoxide. The buildup of carbon monoxide, which is a silent killer. And, you know, I've covered enough news stories over the years that often people die in their sleep without realizing that the carbon monoxide is building up inside their homes. Uh, let's bring on Ryan Love uh, with the Unified Fire Authority. I saw a tweet from the city of Harriman last night, Ryan, uh, that warned homeowners about carbon monoxide building up if their exterior vents were clogged by snow. 
And apparently, firefighters were responding to calls out in the Harriman area, and I know there were problems in the South Jordan area as well. Yeah, Debbie, there were. We had quite a few calls yesterday. Um, I was called by a few of our captains, and uh, they were uh, inquiring that I, I get some information out to the public. And so that that's the tweet that you saw from Harriman City. I coordinated with them and tried to get some information out. But uh, first off, I'd just like to say thank you, uh, both uh, Dave and Debbie, for allowing me a few minutes on your show this morning. I know that there was some false reporting or some some questioning on, on some of the reporting. And so I'd like to clear that up a little bit. And you two are both talking about the difference between carbon monoxide and uh, carbon dioxide. And Dave, to answer your question, carbon dioxide is what we put in our in our cokes at home. Okay. Um, and uh, carbon monoxide is is the the potentially fatal one. And the reason why it's important for our local community here is because of this recent snowstorm. We're seeing an uptick in um, carbon monoxide alarm alerts, which is uh, which is sending out our firefighters. And and yesterday in Harriman specifically, we, our firefighters were responding all day long to these alarms, which was unusual. But the reason was was because of the snowstorm that came in, and it had a little bit of wind with it as well. I think a lot of us have seen pictures of the snowdrift and some of the snow banks that were created upwards of uh, of four feet in some cases. What that's doing is it's covering some of the ventilation systems for all of our appliances that we use in our homes, our water heaters, our furnaces, and, and so, so on and so forth. And that's not allowing our furnaces or those, uh, those heaters to off-gas, and it's plugging that system up, pushing the poisonous gas, the carbon monoxide, back into our homes. The, the problem with that is that this gas is extremely dangerous because you can't smell it, you can't taste it, you can't see it. So it's just like we're breathing normal air. However, this is poisonous, and it could it could certainly be fatal if left unattended. And if you don't have a carbon monoxide detector telling you that it's in your home, um, that's that's what what we're really worried about. And, what, are, what are some, uh, and of, some the of the symptoms? Yeah, oh, yeah, I think that's yeah. where you're kind of headed. What are some of the signs if if I am uh, inhaling carbon monoxide? I think the first thing that you need to be aware of is, is a possible uh, headache or dizziness or lightheadedness. Um, more severe cases, you might get some nausea or vomiting, um, shortness of breath or difficulty breathing. Um, and then in some, some severe cases, we have a loss of consciousness potentially, chest pain, seizures or convulsions, and even uh, weakness, fatigue, or death. And so those are some of the signs and symptoms that we worried about. And, and obviously, depending on your exposure, it gets a little bit worse and worse down the list there. Um, but uh, we want people to make sure, you know, dig out those those uh, ventilation systems in your home. And if you don't know where they are, walk around your home, take a look to see what that looks like, um, and then clear that out. We appreciate you joining us. Ryan Love from Unified Fire Authority. Uh, thanks for the update. Thanks, Ryan. Eye on the Hill 2023. Special coverage with David DeGenevic. Lindsay Ayers, how many working days of the 2023 session are left? Six, guys. <laughs> six working days okay. left. So this is, this is the I think, the longest ping-pong match uh, that I've watched uh, over the last probably 30 years of reporting in Utah. Uh, and that is the food tax. I mean, sometimes they put it on sometimes they take it off so are we gonna get are we gonna see lawmakers do they have an appetite for getting rid of it this year where's that at okay well the food tax proposal to remove the state portion of the sales tax on food comes with a major catch and this catch is the food tax only comes off if voters approve in 2024 that we remove the earmark for income tax to go towards education 
Is that legislative speak, or do you understand what I was I just totally saying? Do. I'm just okay. not quite sure. Like who's who's drafting this this uh, 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 new amendment to the amendment that well, we all have to go to the polls and vote on? Right. Now. So we have two different pieces of legislation. The bill that's being run would take the sales tax off food, but it has a contingency in it which says that it doesn't go into effect until January 1st of 2025, and only if. SJR 10, which is a resolution being run by the Senate, gets approved, and that Senate resolution would take the earmark off of education. It does feel like lawmakers are are finding a loophole. The federal government does this all the time, where they take two totally different bills and they combine them, one that's very popular, one that is not popular, but they pass them together. Then That's what we saw in the teacher raise school choice bill. And it feels like that's what they're trying to tap into this time. Your feeling is not incorrect. However, I think lawmakers would beg to differ, right? This is the way that they, they argue on each of these pieces of legislation that these things have to happen together. They're making the arguments, but um, that certainly is an interpretation of what's happening out there. When it comes to the earmark for income tax for education, there is a reason why Many, many years ago, voters finally told lawmakers how they wanted their income tax money spent. I was the education reporter in the 90s, which I've been told is a long time ago for Channel 4 News. And I would go into schools daily, Lindsay. And these children had, I remember I was at Washington Elementary, the old Washington Elementary, just down the hill in the shadows of Capitol Hill principal or that one of the one of the administrators took me into one of the closets there where they had lined the encyclopedias remind my, my now this was in the mid early early 90s yeah the encyclopedias that the children were using pre-computers were from the 1960s so lawmakers back then in my view were having a real hard time understanding the importance of how parents felt and taxpayers felt our uh, tax money should be spent on education. Yeah. And and schools were suffering and because of it. Their, def- their argument for removing this income tax earmark is that they need flexibility in the budget. They say income tax has gone up at 10 times the rate the sales tax fund has. Sales and gas tax funds everything else we fund in state government. The income tax is earmarked for four different things, educate, public education, higher education included in that. So they want flexibility with that pot of money so they can fund the other things in government. So they're arguing they need to free up that money. But the groups in education are opposed to this, at least right now, because they have been working with lawmakers to get some sort of constitutional guarantee that their funding is protected constitutionally. Now, lawmakers have vowed that they're going to fund education, and we take them at their word at that. However, um, the education community wants that shored up in the Constitution as opposed to just a law, a bill that says we have to fund education, because that is subject to change. Lindsay Ertz, thank you for joining us. And yeah, this is very unique, the fact that we take every single penny from state income tax and direct it 100% uh, to, to education. Well, yeah, let me just clarify just a little bit. It's not 100%. It goes to some social services for children. It also goes to public and higher education, and then also people with disabilities. But those four places are where it goes. Thank you. Lindsay, you're amazing. You go. All right. Have fun up on the hill. All right. See okay. you guys. Tell them all we said hi. Uh, straight ahead, a, a proposal, another proposal on Capitol Hill wants to help first-time home buyers by um, let, let, getting, giving them $20,000 uh, to get into their, their home, their new home. We're going to dive a little deeper and look at what efforts banks and credit unions are doing 
Mountain America Credit Union joins the show. I I was really glad that uh, Senate President Stuart Adams took some time earlier this week to call the show and talk to us live about his concerns for first-time homebuyers in the state of Utah. Um, And we spoke to him in depth about his legislation that he's proposed that would make it easier, at least I think, for these first-time homebuyers to get into a new home. So here it is in a nutshell. He wants to give first-time homebuyers up to $20,000 um, from state funds to get help, to get them the boost they need to get into their first home. What we're seeing right now, this is a moment in time when interest rates have gone from 3% to 6%. You can take this 20000 It just isn't for their down payment. In fact, probably not a lot of it will be used for the down payment. They can buy down the interest rate. When you buy down the interest rate to a 3%, you bring more people into the market that can qualify these first home buyers. Because it can be overwhelming right now. I, I remember the first time I was trying to buy a home, the only time I guess I was trying to buy a home, was trying to figure out how do we pay for the fees, how do we get the down payment, uh, what loans are out there and available. And when you're 24, 25 years old trying to figure this out and can I make the mortgage payment, it can be overwhelming and almost impossible in some ways. Well, and if you think back when you and I were buying our first homes, uh, our well, actually, ultimately, my first home was in the $70,000 range. Uh, our kids today are are faced with, I think, fear <laughs> about the cost of $450,000, $550,000 price tag. And, and I really appreciated uh, President Adams' pitch on this. Um, I think we all can, our, our kids are, are facing the same thing. It's like, how can I afford getting into a new home if I don't have the down payment saved up, if I don't have uh, the closing costs covered by the seller? So this is the proposed government solution. I wanted to find out what the private solution mm-hmm. is. Is private this sector? something yeah. the private sector can fix Uh, So we reached out to Mountain America Credit Union. Carol Loftus joins us right now, who's the Vice President of Mortgage Lending at Mountain America. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay, uh, so I I got a little heads up uh, about some of the things that you have done to try to help first-time homebuyers specifically. And what was kind of eye-popping to me was a 40-year mortgage. Uh, can you explain that? Who is this designed for? Yes, I'd love to explain it. Thank you for asking. We at the Credit Union have designed, it is a first-time homebuyer program. It is a loan that amortizes over 40 years, but has a balloon due in 15 years. So it allows the first-time homebuyer to get into a home, start earning some equity or building that equity, um, And then at 15 years, they are required to either refinance it or pay a balloon payment. Typically, people don't stay in their home longer than 15 years, and they don't keep the same loan for 15 years. So it's a great program, again, for our first-time homebuyers to get into a home and start building equity. So I could see the benefits of a 40-year loan, that being a lower monthly house payment. Correct. The downside could be the fear of the balloon payment breathing down their neck if they don't want to sell or move uh, within that 15 years. On the flip side, the 30-year uh, mortgage is much more traditional or the one that I've always known since I started buying homes. Um, 
so and then quite frankly, I, mean, I think we did. A, I did. A, I've done a couple of fifteen-year loans too, but thirty years is more traditional. So, how much is that balloon payment for some of these families? Can you give us a ballpark? Oh, I don't have that number right okay. off the top of my head, but it is going to be a, a large amount of the loan for, by all means. Okay, but. The benefit of the 40 due and 15 is it is amortized over 40 years, so it does keep their payments lower. It is also the rate is tied to a 15-year term, so it does even make their payment even lower because it's a lower rate and then it's amortized over 40 years. And Debbie, I do think you're right. I think the fair that people, when they hear the word balloon, yes. they do. It does bring up some fears and anxiety because they don't understand how that works. But again. Typically, people don't keep a loan or stay in the home that long, right. yeah. even on a first-time home. A first-time home, so it does allow them the benefit of starting to earn equity, so that when they are ready to move up and buy a bigger home, it gives them that opportunity. And I'm one of those people. As I look back over the life of uh, my, my life and how long I've lived in a home, traditionally, I'm there ten or eleven years, uh, and then mm-hmm. I'm and then I'm on, and now I'm now I'm downsized. So. So thank you, thank you for for giving giving us that information because I think that the balloon payment can can be a little scary. Okay, so walk walk me through. Uh, I think one of the the biggest hurdles for first time home buyers is a down payment, having to come up with a, a huge amount, whether it's ten or twenty percent uh, of the house, and, and having to put that down. You've got uh, PMI that you got to pay as well. Uh, does this address any of those concerns? It does. It absolutely addresses them. Our 40 due in 15 is 100% financing. So a first-time homebuyer does not have to have a down payment. And because it is a Mountain America program, we don't have to follow all of the regular guidelines. And we have chosen not to charge mortgage insurance in the monthly payment on this loan. So again, that saves the consumer money in their monthly payment. Because that can be up to a couple of hundred dollars a month, right? It can be, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. that so that does lower the payment. By the way, uh, we're speaking with Carol Loftus, who's the vice president of mortgage lending at Mountain America Credit Union, about the this forty year mortgage program that could be the solution for a lot for first time home buyers. I guess one of my concerns, though, when you're looking at a forty year mortgage, if it's amortized over that amount of time, that a lot of that money, and and this is the case with a thirty year loan as well, but with a forty year loan that not a lot of that money is going toward principal. That is correct. In a 40-year loan, the payments that you make are going to interest in the beginning. You are paying less um, towards equity in the beginning. But again, you are still building that equity more than what you would if you were renting. So the hope is that over those 15 years, before I have to either refinance or uh, you know sell my home, is that the the growth the um, of the house, the value of the home will have increased far more than what I would have, uh, I guess, theoretically paid in, in a mortgage payment. Yes. Because you're making those payments, you are paying down the loan, so you are building equity. And historically, values in the valley increase year to year, so you are building that equity through the increase of the value of the property as well. Kara, um, this is this is curious to me. I just went. I just thought it would be interesting to see what the difference would be if I if I put in a four hundred fifty thousand dollar loan amount into a mortgage calculator and compared a thirty year fixed 
to a, a 40-year loan that, that you, you all are offering, and the mortgage calculator doesn't go up to 40 years. <laughs> so I can't, <laughs> I can't tell the difference, but I would imagine if we ballpark it's it, several it hundreds yeah, of I was going to say. And then if you take off the PMI, the mortgage interest that gets charged monthly, and that saves mm-hmm. another couple of hundred dollars, you could be looking at a significant savings uh, for first-time home buyers. Absolutely. Okay. And sure. here's a fun fact that I might want to share. Sure. Um, I don't know, but in order to qualify as a first-time home buyer, you can have owned a home in the past, but you can't have owned a home in the most recent three years. So if ah. there is someone out there that owned a home in the past, but it's been longer than three years, they will qualify as a first-time home buyer and can take advantage of that loan program. So it's first-time home buyer-ish. That's what I'm hearing. That's a good way to put Ish. it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> great Let's conversation. Yeah, great conversation. Uh and it gives gives me as a mom of uh of a 20 something year old's uh food for thought. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for for joining us. That was Kara Loftus. She's the Vice President of Mortgage Lending at Mountain America Credit Union. Well, I think it's important to look at this because as we hear from legislators, oftentimes they think the solution does come from government. This is a government program uh, that you can use. Well, this is the private sector solution. Now, am I a little bit terrified of a 40-year mortgage? Yeah, no question. But again, this is another option as you're you're trying to weigh the the pros and cons of everything that that gives you some good food for thought. Uh, Straight ahead, Revisiting our conversation from our 9 o'clock hour, there has been so much snow in the community of Suncrest and Draper uh, that it was coming through the vents at Ashley's home. And I look up, and there's literally snow coming out of my bathroom fan. Straight ahead, City of Draper calling the line next. We're going to ask him if the city is doing anything or they can do anything to combat this massive amount of snow that has swallowed up Snowcrest. I mean... Severe Utah weather special coverage with David Janovic. Just at times yesterday, looking out the window and uh, hung out in downtown Salt Lake last night. Thank goodness I didn't have to drive home yesterday. Uh, Snowmageddon. I mean, it did. One of our producers here at KSL posted to Facebook, Siberia, Utah. It felt that way, but you look at what's going on in Suncrest, which is just, you know, above above Draper. If you look up I-15, driving by, you look to the east side. Um, and it's a beautiful area, but wow, they are buried. And it was so bad that Ashley Harmer, when we spoke to her earlier during the show, she said the snow was coming in her bathroom vent. I walked into the bathroom to take a shower, and I had this huge puddle on the floor, and I was like, I, I, where did this come from? Like, I don't understand. And I look up and there's literally snow coming out of my bathroom fan. Like it was crazy. I, so I took a video and I sent it to Taylor and yeah, I put down towels and I was literally like building up snow on my floor in my house. And Deb, when you look at these pictures, these, it's something to get 18 or two feet uh, of snow in a 24, 48-hour period. That, that's one thing. But what's really getting them is these snow drifts. The wind blows in, and it just stacks the snow 
six, eight feet high in some areas. Yeah, and it makes made me wonder a couple of things this morning. First of all, are fire trucks able to get in safely? Can they actually find the fire hydrants when they get into these communities? Uh, with so much snow built up, if someone were to have some sort of a medical event, could uh, is, could this potentially be a safety issue? So let's bring on Linda Peterson. She's with Draper City. And just to be clear, uh, it, Draper City isn't responsible for all of Suncrest because Suncrest straddles, or, or are you, maybe uh, Salt Lake County and the Utah County side. So are you just uh, kind of responsible for one side of that um, community, Linda? Uh, Draper City is responsible for the majority of okay. Suncrest roads. Um, we do have Draper residents that are in Utah County, so we straddle that line. So I, I'm just looking downtown here, and and we haven't gotten nearly the snow that, that you guys have up in Draper or Suncrest. Uh, where do you put all the snow? Because uh, it's stacking up pretty high. There's probably a, a five- or six-foot stack uh, of snow plow. Uh, snow plowed snow in, in our streets here in some areas. What do you do up in the hills? We've definitely seen an unprecedented amount of snow with this storm. Um, in the 20 plus years that Suncrest has been in existence, this is the most we've ever seen. And so under normal circumstances, the city crews have plenty of uh, trucks and personnel to handle snow removal but for this storm, we have had to reach out to some additional resources. We've brought in three loader trucks with chains that provide that additional traction to move the snow. We have a blower and a snowcat. Uh, so we uh, are appreciative that we were able to get those additional resources in yesterday because it is a crazy amount of snow. Linda, is there a potential safety hazard for families up there? Uh, with these fire trucks that are just so massive in size, would they have a difficult time accessing those communities that are snowed in? I spoke with our fire chief this morning, and yesterday there were a few calls where they did have to hike in. The EMS responders had to hike in to reach the patients. And our fire staff has been coordinating with our public works department to get the best access possible on the main streets up in Suncrest. Um, They've also been proactive in reaching out to Utah County and Salt Lake County search and rescue teams just in case there was a scenario where they would need additional assistance that way. And they're um, in direct contact with them in case that situation would arise. But... Uh, the good news is that today things you know, we've been able to make much more progress with snow removal, and so we expect things to be pretty uh, passable today and continue to improve. I'm sure you've been following the uh, the forecast like we have, but it does look like over the next week or so there could be several more storms. What do you do when you're already buried in snow? Yes, I think this has been good to get this extra equipment in place so that we do have resources at hand. And our crews are always watching the forecast and prepping ahead as much as possible. So they're just going to keep digging it out and working through it. Linda, has the city of Draper considered filling up uh, trucks and um, dump trucks full of snow and trucking it to the Great Salt Lake or somewhere else? 
Well, that would be awesome. I'm not sure if that's practical. It's a good idea, right? I mean, let's say any any idea at this point may be a good idea. But I mean, I'm sure I'm sure we could we could line up some dump trucks for you. But I just don't know where you take all of it. Maybe, the, like I said, maybe GSL GSL could be helped out a little bit. I wish we could. I definitely. Yeah. We'd love to put the resources to good use wherever we can. <laughs> Lynn Peterson, well, thank you for joining us. Best of luck. We know it's been pretty wild up there, and uh, with the upcoming snowstorms that are on the way, uh, fingers crossed that everything works great for you. Yeah, thank you, Linda, and also thank you to Ashley as well. Uh, she is a sister-in-law of Taylor Morgan, who is a KSL at Night host right here at KSL News Radio, and he was the one that was digging his family and neighbors out of their issues in Draper yesterday and contacted our producer here and said, look at what's going on in my sister-in-law's home in Suncrest. Now, to be clear, this is a top 10 storm. This is a huge storm. Mm -hmm. So to be overwhelmed, I I can't really criticize Draper City for this. You don't really plan for the worst case scenario, right? You just kind of deal with the worst case scenario. But the fact is, they they are overwhelmed. There's a lot of snow. There's more snow on the way. And trying to balance that and manage it is just, I can can just feel for that city manager. You have to admit that I came up with a pretty eye-popping idea, (laughs) right? Haul it off to the Great Salt Lake? (laughs) Yeah. Haul it out of there somehow. (laughs) Well, I mean, they did have to do uh, some... EMS had to walk in and hike into some of these. So it's more than just, oh, there's snow drifts and snow banks piling up. Uh, This has become a safety issue for those who live in that community. And let's bring some dump trucks there. I don't know. Especially when you look at cul-de-sacs. There's never a good way Mm -hmm. to get the snow out of the cul-de-sacs. Wow, we have had an amazing 48 hours, two days of full wall-to-wall coverage of this massive snowstorm that walloped a lot of Utah. Next. 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 Great. About three minutes for the job, right, Superintendent? So thank you, neighbors. Valley. Next. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.